It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Nordland, and today's conversation will center around the latest COVID relief bill and what it means for cattle producers here at the end of 2020 and as we move into 2021. Don't go too far, we'll have more after this. 2020 has been a year of challenge and change for farming and ranching families across the country. One thing that hasn't changed is the continued work of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association in Washington, D.C. each and every day. From leading the charge on the implementation of the CFAP program to fighting rules and regulations that negatively impact your bottom line, NCBA is there for you. If you are a member, we thank you for your continued support, and if you're not, we'd love to have you join us. Call 1-866-BEEF-USA or visit ncba.org for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation on the Lancast Ag Podcast. And quite a lot of issues impacting farmers and ranchers in the past few days. This show finds us in between Christmas and New Year's here at the end of 2020. And just a few days ago, Congress passed a COVID relief and spending package. And with that, a lot of new opportunities for USDA to help bring relief to the nation's farmers and ranchers in the wake of COVID-19. But when you look at this proposed CFAP 3 or Coronavirus Food Assistance Program Round 3, I I end up shaking my head. So we are looking to some experts on Washington, D.C. today joining us with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Ethan Lane. They're Vice President of Government Affairs, uh, Ethan. Uh, first off, uh, how how was your Christmas? Did you have beef uh, on the on the dining room table? Uh, my Christmas was fantastic. I've had nothing but beef since I uh, since the holiday season started, which I, I know will come as a shock to anybody who knows me. But uh, yeah, we we uh, we did a beef Wellington for Christmas this year, um, which I haven't done in a while, and uh, getting ready to do a prime rib for New Year's and. I have had quite a bit of uh, fun stuff in between, so it's been a great holiday season so far. How about you? Oh, we uh, we had prime rib. Uh, we made sure and got the uh, seasonings all rubbed in, and uh, did the did the flash cook, you know, for a few minutes there at yeah. five hundred, and cooked it for a few more hours, and took it out and let it sit for about thirty minutes, and oof, it it was perfect. I'm it, gonna try that that flash five hundred recipe next time. I usually do the sear on all sides, and then two fifty to bring it up. And I'm going to try that 500. That's a cool recipe. Yeah, it, it worked out really well. And uh, of course, uh, one of the discussions at our dining room table with all the uh, producers in the room and my brother-in-law being my CPA as well, uh, <laughs> it, it comes down to, to uh, the financial uh, outlook for 2021. And of course, sure. looking back on 2020, especially in our cattle markets. And, and we, we saw the CFAP 1 and 2 programs come out and uh, of course, for cow calf operators, they got $33 per head for all their livestock, then $55 per head in that CFAP2 for everything except breeding stock. And now we've now seen that the president has signed the spending and COVID bill here at the end of the year. And I, I look at the language of it because with this, Congress is telling USDA how to use these funds, if I'm correct in my analysis of it. But I'm still kind of scratching my head, and I know our listeners may be wondering, okay, what does this mean? What does this language mean for livestock producers? Can you just walk us through this, Ethan, what Congress has in store for USDA with these funds? 
You bet. And, and the problem, I think, is going back to, to the, the terminology you used, and you're not alone. Everybody's been doing this. Um, and we were guilty of it in the early stages of this as well, calling it CFAP3. That's, that's not what this is. So the, the, the intent here goes back to the original CFAP1 program and that, that gap where we had a, a division between those part one payments that were based on actual realized losses when producers sold cattle. That's CFAP one, you know, part one. And then CFAP part two, as you described, were those $33 inventory payments. You need to think about this new piece from Congress as part three of CFAP one. And, and that is because Congress is intending here to go back and do what USDA has failed to do so far in the two rounds of coronavirus food assistance that they've done, which is to go back and address those producers that marketed cattle at the height of the pandemic between April 15th and May 15th, but missed out on those, those market-based payments, you know, those, excuse me, not the market-based payments, the, the loss-based payments that other producers received in that January 15th to April 15th window. So that's all they're trying to do here is go back and backfill some additional support for those specific producers that marketed cattle in that window. I think what's throwing people is the way they're doing it rather than making you come and show receipts is another round of inventory payments based on class of livestock, but geared towards that, that class of livestock that would have most likely been marketed in that time frame. That's why you're seeing that delta between those you know, higher dollar, $60 payments on the top end and a $7 payment on the bottom end. You know, the idea is, well, had you participated, had we gotten the date right the first time, right, and, and pulled that original part one, say, to May 15th, which probably would have been a more logical deadline for those, for those payments based on actual losses you would have seen the majority of that money going to feedlot operators, right? And backgrounders and stockers that were, were selling those heavier weight cattle over 600 pounds. It wouldn't have necessarily been a lot of those payments going to producers marketing cull cows or, or anything in that range. So they've tried to structure that, I think, to capture that and, and put that extra, uh, I think 1.4 billion is what's allocated to that fund uh, into producers' pockets who really have felt like, gosh, you know, that extra $55 was nice, but my neighbor got 214 on the cattle that he sold a week earlier, and that's not really fair. So that's what they're trying to do there. Um, you know, I, it's really important to not think of this as CFAP3 because we're still hopeful that with the remaining resources of USDA, there could be a CFAP3. So we don't want to confuse those two concepts as we're talking about this. This is really going back and addressing NCBA's concerns and others that have been voicing since April, hey, you you missed a bunch of producers in the spring with the first round of this program. So, Ethan, could you maybe walk us through what the, those payment levels will look like and, you know, all the way from a cow-calf producer to feedlot operators as well? Do you have that information handy? You know, I, I have it somewhere here. I have to pull it up on my email. Um, but, you know, it's it's tied to, the formula is tied to 50% of the payment rate in the CFAP Part 1 original round. So what, the way they're doing the formula is essentially, okay, look at that, that scale that you would have been paid under if you had sold cattle in that January 15th to April 15th window and take whatever class of cattle you fall into there and market it that, that you would have marketed it. Take 50% of that rate, right? And then deduct out any payments you've already received on your livestock. So anybody who's in that realm 
that, that April 15th to May 15th, regardless of class of cattle, right, should have already, if they've participated in the program, received a $33 check and a $55 check. So what we're looking at now is what are they going to get on remaining, you know, inventory through that period? So they don't have to worry about what they sold, but it is going to play into the class of cattle in a way that CFAP Part 1, um, CFAP 1 Part 2 and CFAP 2 didn't do, which was, was really segregate and pay a different rate based on class of cattle. Um, and I, if I recall, those, those levels are you know, going anywhere from 65 down through 34 into 7. I just don't have the, the scale right in front of me here. I, I was able to d- just to pull up a graphic that I think can be reliable. And they're saying $63 for fed cattle, yep. $25.50 for feeder cattle of 600 pounds or more. Seventeen twenty-five for all other cattle, and then there is a category for slaughter cattle, mature cattle, which I would assume that's a cull cattle in USDA yeah. terms at fourteen seventy-five, and then feeder cattle under six hundred pounds. So all those spring calvers, they're, they're going to get seven dollars a head. So I, I guess the the main question there is, since these producers all that that participated in CFAP round one that have already signed up for that payment. Do they do you know what they're gonna going to have to do? Is it gonna be another sign up period or since they're already enrolled in CFAP one, uh, are they just gonna get a deposit in their bank account? So so we have we have posed a detailed series of those procedural questions to USDA. Obviously uh, the timing of this came right before Christmas. Um, we're working today to try to get some confirmation on what we think this process is going to look like. Because remember, you have Congress handing this to USDA and saying, this is what we're directing you to do um, with this program. I would assume, based on what we've seen in the program thus far, that the, the easy way for them to do this is going to be to go back to those producers that have already participated in the program. They have that detail. They've already given numbers of what they had on hand during that time frame and just kick out another check. Um, based on that. That would be the easy way to do this. Um, but we will, uh, we will continue to work with USDA to get some answers to those questions. Um, you know, had we not been going through Christmas here, I would assume they would have already been able to confirm some of that for us. Um, you know, the, the, the delay in signing this thing didn't help either. There was kind of a, a period after it cleared Capitol Hill where everyone just kind of waited. Um, now that that uh, has been signed by the president as of about 48 hours ago, um, hopefully that's going to kind of start to kick some of those gears moving uh, and the federal system to get us some answers on exactly how they intend to roll this out. And just speaking of the rollout, is it going to be the Trump administration that fully implements this last part of funding, or is this going to be a transition uh, into a Biden USDA as well? Well, you know, the, the previous rounds of this, they have been able to get out the door very quickly. And, and given the fact that, you know, as we talked about earlier, most of these producers have already engaged in this process, right? So there shouldn't be a lot of new business here. Um, so I would be hopeful that they can move very quickly to get this money out the door. Certainly, that's the way they're intending to distribute all of the other coronavirus assistance funding that's going to different uh, different segments of the economy. So I, I would expect a similar uh, speed here, and, and certainly a month should be plenty of time. So by the time we get to Inauguration Day, I would hope that um, this this third round or this CFAP Part 1, uh, you know, 3 is is well down the road to being distributed. Well, we'll continue to, of course, track uh, this this new program. And thank you so much for explaining the uh, the really the the how this is going to work. Because in Ag Media, I was fake news there for a second, calling it CFAP three, um, when we should really call it CFAP one point 
two, really. Or, one point three, yeah, or one three, yeah. Right. No, and that is, and it's confusing, and and you know, it's one of those things where we've we they they did what we've asked them to do, uh, but you know, because of the way this whole package came together, there was very little. Um, there was very little explanation to go along with it. So we've had to really work to help people understand what it is they're trying to accomplish here. And Ethan, as we also look to activity that NCBA has been very active on for, for several years now is uh, uh, the representation on behalf of beef producers in the dietary guidelines for 2020 through 2025. Um, it, it's been a long process, but uh, on Tuesday, the 29th of December, 2020, those guidelines were officially released. Um, Obviously, NCBA kind of knew what was going to be in them based on the public comment period that uh, that uh, concluded uh, several weeks ago. Um, how are the guidelines shaping up for beef producers? Uh, what's NCBA's take on the final guidelines that the committee and USDA and Health and Human Services have published here today? Well, look, we're pleased to see that beef is still at the center of the plate. Obviously, that's always good news when we can see that. We we always spend a lot of time and, and, and resources and effort to make sure that the DGA process doesn't go down a rabbit trail of, of focusing on climate or sustainability or things that don't have any business uh, in in a, a set of guidelines for Americans and healthy eating. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, there is always going to be uh, imperfections in that process. But by and large, I mean, we're pleased with the fact that this report has come out recommending a nutrient-rich diet and a nutrient-dense diet, you know, asking Americans to make choices based on those those efficient foods that give them the uh, the nutrition that they need. Uh, nothing fits that description better than beef. So it, it, it really, if you, if you read through what they've recommended here, um, it points a big old arrow as far as we're concerned towards beef as a really efficient source of that nutrition and a great protein choice uh, to, to keep at the center of Americans' plates. And, and we want to make sure that we continue to remind people of that moving forward. And, you know, that kind of, that kind of a result doesn't happen by accident. I mean, the, 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 the policy division here at NCBA has been engaged in that process uh, throughout. And on the, the checkoff side, uh, you know, the checkoff contractors have engaged aggressively on this as well. I think they filed 22 sets of comments on this process, detailed technical comments into this DGA process, more than any other uh, commodity group, if I if I recall, uh, that participated here. So you know, you you really have to engage aggressively here to make sure we defend beef's spot uh, in the lineup and and make sure we don't have any um, anybody taking this process and hijacking it to kind of insert some of those outside opinions, whether it be uh, anti-animal agriculture in general, anti-beef, whatever the case may be. And, and, and largely, we've avoided that in this process. Um, you know, this, this gives a good set of guidelines for Americans to use uh, that continues to have beef as a, as a healthy choice for them and their families. Uh, my last uh, question, we, we continue to talk about the importance that uh, producers uh, be involved in advocacy in, in education, whether that's educating lawmakers, um, people in their local communities or on the state and national levels and dietary guidelines play a big role in that. And you, you saw last week how an imitator was on Fox business uh, imitating the CEO of Smithfield or uh, stepping in in the place uh, falsely of the CEO of Smithfield foods, an anti-meat uh, uh, radical, we could call him that. How important is it for producers to, uh, uh, let's switch roles. If a, a reporter reached out to uh, a, a beef producer asking questions and maybe they're getting 
you know, set up to be uh, a part of an anti-meat campaign and trying to do a gotcha story. Um, that was terrifying to truly watch that on Fox Business. A, a tr you know, no verification. I mean, what, what do producers need to, to walk away with uh, understanding how they need to prepare themselves for uh, interacting with media or with a possible setup? You know, Lane, you, you, uh, you and I are, have been friends for a long time. That's one of the best questions you've ever asked me. And, and I mean, uh, let me, uh, we talk about this in our office constantly, not a week goes by and in our office in DC or in Denver for that matter, that we don't hear about, um, a, a, an unverified news operator showing up at a producer's operation unannounced, asking for access, asking for a tour, um, always sort of under the guise of gosh, we're friendly and we're telling a story about farmers and ranchers and, and these things very often end up being uh, slanted and attacks on, on what we do and how we do it. Sometimes it's international media, sometimes it's homegrown. Um, you know, the rise of the blogosphere, the rise of sort of homegrown media has certainly contributed to that. Anybody with a microphone uh, can claim to be a journalist and, and quite frankly, with a little bit of know-how and how the internet works, can in fact uh, reach an audience and, and make their opinions known. Um, that makes it all the more important for producers to trust but verify, right? Make sure you know who it is you're talking to. Make sure you're comfortable giving them that kind of access to your operation. And if you're not, lean on those trade associations. Lean on, uh, you know, the Montana stock growers, NCBA, um, Wyoming stock growers, whoever, um, you know, to, to give you that, that guidance into whether or not this is, this is a, a legitimate news source to be engaging with. Um, we're working with these people every day. We, we're watching the ones that are, that are out to get us. We know what they're trying to do for the most part. We, we, we put a lot of time and effort into making sure that we protect the industry from that kind of stuff. So take advantage of that. I mean, the, the producer community um, is, 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 you know, one that the news likes to tap because, I mean, farmers and ranchers are, are interesting figures to have in, in news reports. They're engaging. Um, they often have good stories to tell. We like that. We want to be out in front of the media. We want to be out in front of consumers. We want to be out in front of lawmakers. Um, but let's make sure we know who we're talking to and, and what their intent is, uh, and that we're going to get a fair shake in those stories. And we can always help you do that. Um, I, you know, I, I don't care if you don't get an answer anybody anywhere else. Call me directly, and I will walk you through it. And a lot of producers do on a regular basis, and we're always happy to do that. Well, uh, thanks for for that insight. But I, I think the best question I probably have ever asked you is, "Do you need another drink?" So. <laughs> We can, we you can. must have me confused with somebody else. I typically go back to the room and, and just drink milk in the, in the evening. So. <laughs> milk and cookies like Santa, eh? That's right. Well, Ethan, uh, thank you so much for, for taking a few minutes just to describe uh, what we can hopefully expect in this uh, new funding for agriculture producers, specifically uh, cattle producers in the uh, COVID relief funding and touching on those dietary guidelines and, and tips to keep producers uh, uh, safe and uh, educated when they're out working with media or uh, doing any type of publicity uh, type uh, stories. So, Ethan, again, I'll let you get back to your day out in the nation's capital. Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Lane. That will do it for today's agriculture conversation. I'm Lane Nordmond. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.